and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts of Coots. I'm Sarah Muir and I'm joined as always by Coots CIO, Alan Higgins. Each week on the podcast, we look at the three things investors need to know for the week ahead. Alan, what do we need to know this week? So three things. Um, it's hard to get away with the UK with so mm. much talk about the UK's poor inflation performance. Interestingly, people aren't talking about growth anymore. So a bit on the UK. Mm-hmm. I think maybe start on the Magnificent Seven. Yes. Not the film. Great film. I was just going to say, the not film. the film. I have seen the film. Not for a very long time. But it's Yeah, not classic. for a long time. Because you love the horses, so you're bound to... Yeah, I love the music. Is it Elmer Bernstein? Uh, oh, now you're, oh, you're, 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 you know more than me on that subject. So we'll, we'll yeah, go with that. We're all over the place. So the Magnificent <laughs> Seven, the UK, and to end, um, Beyonce causing inflation. And a little bit of Peter Swift thrown in. <laughs> I know this is this is incredible. Okay, well, let's kick off then with the Magnificent Seven. So the Magnificent Seven. So where did that come from? So um, basically, there's seven stocks driving the U.S. stock market, and uh, it was invented. I think it was invented by Michael Hartnett of Bank of America, of which we get his research here. He was the first one. Has been it's been widely basically taken on. And what are the Magnificent Seven? So you, you do you remember Fangs, Sarah? I do remember Fangs, yeah. It's it basically Facebook. Fangs plus NVIDIA. Um, okay, right. So I won't list them all because it's boring. But obviously NVIDIA's up in there. Yeah. That's up 200%. Um, and Facebook is in there. It's called Meta as a stock yeah. market now. That's up 125%. Well, wow. basically, this Magnificent Seven, which includes Apple, the biggest mm. company, um, is driving the market. If you take the Magnificent Seven out, so yeah. call it the 493 dullards, of the S&P 500, the market at one stage was actually down. It's maybe up a little bit now. Okay. But uh, the Magnificent Seven is... So, so the weakest performance in the Magnificent Seven, this is a time of writing, is, um, is, is Google or Alphabet at just at 40%. It's incredible how, how strong the returns has been of these, these stocks. And I should say, <clears throat> for those who don't know how Coots invest, I mean, Coots has exposure to all of these, but that's our style. Our style is to embrace index investing and to own an awful lot of stocks. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got a question about that because obviously we're going to talk about, you know, the wider implications of that focus on a handful of stocks. But if you were the kind of asset manager that was a stock picker, how on earth do you do your job when there's literally five or six companies that you have to have in your fund or your portfolio? How on earth do you get around that? It's really hard, Sarah. It's a great question and really hard. And well, I think we've talked about active versus passive before. So active investing, as you say, picking stocks, passive taking the whole index. And this year is a complete nightmare for, mm. for nearly everyone because who, who really owns those seven stocks? Who's o- overweight NVIDIA, for example? Hardly anyone out there. Yeah. So it's a really, really tough call. And um, But it's the nature of markets. It's, and it's the, and um, on the surface, it seems very speculative yeah. and very bearish, doesn't it? Well, it it seems potentially like you know we could be in bubble territory here with 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 these particular stocks that are doing so well. But I mean, is it something of concern, or I mean, what what does the research tell us? So yeah, I mean, as you know, I, I'm generally fairly optimistic about yeah. stocks in the long. Well, I'm super optimistic about stocks in the long run, but generally, but even this this makes me very queasy. Um, mm. uh, this, however, then you do the research. So yeah. technically, this is called breadth. That's what the, the, you might hear okay. that. So, so breadth with a D. And, and, and basically, what's considered healthy is lots of stocks going up. 
Yeah. And this is very narrow breadth. So surely narrow breadth is bad for markets. And um, I had this intuition and I asked our quant team here at Coots and some years ago, actually, when we had a previous period of poor breadth. And I, and I said, well, is this potentially a sales signal? And amazingly, it's not. Okay. In fact, if, if, you, if you should do anything, and this is not advice, don't forget about that <laughs> compliance and, uh, warning at the end. Oh, anything you buy into it, because do you know what happens, Sarah, is that more often than not, in fact, uh, more like eight or nine times out of ten, the rest of the stock market catches up. Is it a question of a rising tide lifting all boats? Yeah, yeah kind of. I mean, basically, the, the, the 493 uh, of the S&P 500 um, basically catch up when okay. it's this narrow. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like healthy, but that's actually what the data shows. So, look, that's what the data shows. I, I guess it makes people feel very, very queasy uh, looking at this. But based on the data, investors should mm. stick with it. Okay. And... Um, yeah, there, there may be a case, this is for our tactical team, for, for looking at investments outside of the Magnificent Seven. But that's yeah. challenging because that's kind of betting against the AI in a way. Mm. Okay. All right, then. So so basically, then, what we're saying is we have seen this before. It, it has happened before. And it's not necessarily something to be overly concerned about. And the final bit of research on this, uh, just because this guy's got an amazing name, <laughs> Hendrik Bessenbinder. Okay. You might think, where is he? In Sweden, Norway? No, he's in the <laughs> University of Arizona. Okay. And he put out a piece of research, great piece of research, focused on the US. He has done it internationally uh, since 1926. It's called Do Stocks Outperform Treasury Bills? Sounds pretty dull. But what yeah. he went into is that which stocks? So he looked at 26,000 stocks. Mm-hmm. And basically, 25,000, terrible. Okay. 1,000. So 1,000 is a lot, but that's 4% only. So basically, 4% of stocks drive the market. So this narrowness of the market is fairly normal. Now, now some of these will be classic Warren Buffett names like Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble. But some will be newer stocks like, relatively new, is is Alphabet, Google, Mm. Apple, of course. And so this narrowness is normal. And... um, Yeah, um, I I have actually read the report and it's another argument. So people are taking it two ways, ways, Sarah. It's an argument, well, you have to be passive because you can't possibly find the stops. Or you've got to be with a really high conviction active manager that can somehow find these stocks. Yeah, that can find those ones that are no, nobody else knows about yet or yeah. most people don't know about yet okay yeah. all right then so that's the magnificent seven it is that concentration in of the performances being led by this these seven big names mega cap stocks in the us um but you know you might be concerned that there's perhaps a lack of breadth but research tells us and i'm not going to repeat that guy's name because you're gonna to have to send that to me um since 1926 four percent of stock market returns have been or, or Correct me. So stock market returns have been driven by 4% of stocks in the S&P. Let me say his name. Hendrik Bessenbinder. Just in case okay. somebody wants to Google the report. I mean, Hendrik Bessenbinder. some years ago. So if you Google his name, you don't need to read the whole report. It's neatly summarised in the FT okay. some years okay. ago for those who have I subscriptions. Should, I should be having a look at that. But is it, essentially what we're saying is, while there might be some concerns about a handful of stocks sort of dominating um, an index, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing and that ultimately it drives the performance overall of that index. 
Okay, so that's the Magnificent Seven. UK data and UK inflation. I mean, we, we did sort of touch on this like briefly last week when we had Ray on um, Need to Know, but you, you've you been sort of having a little bit of a deeper look at basically what's happening in the UK at the moment as far as cons- inflation is concerned, because up until fairly recently, everybody was worried about growth in, in, in the UK, weren't they? Yeah I, yeah, I do wonder, Sarah, whether we do like to be pessimistic here in the UK, but, you know, maybe for a good reason. But yeah, you're right. Um, we were very worried about growth. And look, we've outperformed Germany on the growth side. So yeah. UK's done OK on growth. And that's one of the reasons why, as Ray mentioned, sterling has been relatively strong. And yeah, I've, so we subscribe to Capital Economics, for example, who are very good on the UK. Read theirs in depth. They're still calling for much lower inflation. But um, just to run through the numbers, I think um, I'm looking at CPI and we've got inflation later this week. It is expected to fall to 8.4. Let's mm. see. So I've chosen just UK, US and Italy because Italy is another country that historically has been inflation prone. We've got 8.7 versus 4 in the US. Isn't that remarkable how low it's, it's fallen? Yeah. 7.6 in Italy. So higher than Italy, and and what everyone's focusing on is core. Um, I won't go through all the numbers. Core is six point eight in the UK, yeah. much lower um, in uh, or not much lower, but a fair bit lower in the US and Italy. I won't mm. blind people with numbers. It's not expected to fall. So yeah. that is the pessimistic pessimist. I have there is a country with higher inflation, Sweden. I'm going to come back to that when I talk about Beyonce. Yeah, <clears throat> but. Um, the question is that everyone's trying to ask is why? Uh, yeah. And um, that's what you set me as a challenge. Mm. Mark Carney came out with his view. Did you, did you hear that? I, I did hear something about that. I believe he had some thoughts that it was connected with Brexit. Yeah. So um, look, uh, so he put it down virtually entirely to Brexit. And mm. I think humbly, I think we should say, I've always said previously with you, these are theories. So we mm. don't, don't know for sure. But this one... Okay, we've got some theories, and I, you know, usually I can I'll bias my view with one particular theory. I'm finding that very difficult this time. Yeah. So take Mark Carney's argument on Brexit. Um, it makes sense. There's going to be some kind of an impact, um, mm. except for this is that migration, as we know, has been very, very high. Yeah. So unless these people are not available to work, and I don't know, then. Because because the argument is we haven't got the French, Italian, Spanish working here and wages yeah. have to go up. But then uh, migration has been very high. So I'm not sure. Um, I get it. It could be an impact. But to put all of it on Brexit and, you know, mm. we're a broad church when it comes to politics here, that seems seems to be a bit strong. So how, that how, doesn't seem to be the I was going to say, how, how much of that is down to the fact that Britain is um, is so dependent on imports? Is that an issue as far that as inflation could is be concerned? An issue. That, could, I, that could be an issue, if the, again, if, if the pound was very weak, Sarah. Mm. If the pound was very weak and then, therefore, you know, imports cost more, then mm. um, that would make sense. And also, dependent on imports, you're right, we have a current account deficit, as does Italy, by the way. Does that mean that, as does the United States, has a fairly big current account deficit, does mm. that mean, shouldn't we get the average prices? Yeah, um, but you know, groceries have been in there. You know, maybe Mark Carney's onto something that we, you know we, we're no longer getting. You know, the grocery basket is it is more expensive because of 
some duties on top. It's mm. fairly micro. That could be um, could could be the case. But um, so I don't think it's imports. Um, okay. Brexit made a part to play. I think sometimes we may have to accept that the UK is more inflationary prone. I've mentioned before that yeah. I've got the data here since I started my career in 1986, and I'm still going strong. Uh, to compare UK and US, inflation almost exactly the same. Average okay. exactly, that surprises people. Yeah. Um, 2.8 versus 2.8 for CPI. Um, mm-hmm. RPI is a bit higher, but exactly the same. But in these types of periods, and there's not many cases, the one I've mentioned before, I'll mention it again, the 89.90 surge, my first inflation surge I went through, uh, UK RPI went to 10.9, in the US just 6.3. So kind of history's repeating itself a bit. And and so if it was just Brexit, well, we didn't have Brexit then. Yeah. And is there something about the more flexible employment in the States, maybe? Uh, that means you don't get wage increases like you do in the UK. I'm not mm. sure. Um, there may be something about that. Of course, it's it's wonderful, you know, people who are suffering. Um, for the cost of living to get wage increases, but it, it you know, it has filtered through. So I, I will put it down to summarise, Sarah. Mm. Brexit maybe a little bit. Yeah. Imports again, maybe just a very little bit because the pound's been 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 strong. Yeah. Um, just the fact that UK, because of its nature, for something yeah. quite to understand, is a bit more inflation prone. Yeah, and then when and as you say, when you get these surges in inflation. The UK seems to do slightly worse, but actually over the longer term, if you compare directly compare the US and the UK, they're actually very similar. They are. So what does that mean? That means obviously um, to compensate for this period of higher inflation, the UK since 1986 has gone through periods of of much lower inflation than the United States, which is interesting. So um, dare I say boom bust, which Gordon Brown famously said he tried to get rid of, you know, very, Mm. very well, on, you mentioned Sweden as a country that's also struggling a little bit with inflation at the moment, but it's a very particular reason. We, can, we do know why Sweden has got a problem with inflation at the moment, don't we? Well, according to the chief economist of Danske Bank, Sweden, Swedish inflation is worse than the UK at 9.7%, and Beyonce is blamed. I love this. <laughs> you know, I, I met Beyonce. I, d- I didn't know you'd met Beyonce. When was that? Yeah. So... Um, uh, at the O2, so for, for clients, um, if you spend a fortune on your MasterCard, uh, what they, I don't know if they still do it, um, um, for our Coots clients who spent a fortune on their MasterCard, they were selected to go in the, it's called the green room, you know, uh, you know I'm not, you oh, know, I know, sort of meet and greet. The meet and greet, the green, uh, good tickets, mm. obviously, at the green room. Mm. And for whatever reason, the more glamorous people at Coots, male and female, pulled out and they said, mm. do you want to go? You know, and I said, yeah. And um, so um, and then Beyonce is a very good concert. I'm not a massive fan. My daughter loves her. Mm. She's very jealous. And she came backstage. And for whatever reason, I was in the wrong place at the right time. She happened to bump into me. So obviously I said, would you like a Coots growth portfolio? <laughs> I didn't say that. Obviously not. And maybe I should not. No, I, um, I was very, very, very calm because I'm not. It's, she, she's not, not my thing in terms of music. Okay. So I just had a bit of a chat with her and, and thought the music I'm more into is Motown. Is there any chance of any Motown covers? Just, you know, uh, yeah, just sort of rubbish talk. Talk she's heard a million times before. But anyway, um, what happened? Um, 
she started a tour in, in Stockholm mm. and um, the hotel prices went up, restaurants went up. I'm sure my daughter would try. I think my daughter did try to go. Um, mm. 46,000 uh, people watching her and um, Chief Economist of Danska's blame it. Say at least 0. 0.2 to 0.3% of recent okay. inflation is down to the Beyonce effect. You know, it's incredible. And um, mm. I had a, another example from the music industry. Mm. Um, by the way, they're saying um, it's not over because Bruce Springsteen's coming to Gothenburg. Oh, really? He's <laughs> This month, and they're worried about the Bruce Springsteen impact on inflation. A, a, a Bruce um, blip as well as a Beyonce yeah. blip. Do you like? Do you like Taylor Swift? Uh, I can appreciate her skill as a as a pop star and a yeah. songwriter, but she's not top of my list of people to go and uh, see. But I, for a lot of people, she certainly is. She is, yeah. No, I, I actually like Shake It Off. I know it's probably an old record. Let's <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, that's a good one. You that's like it, I think. But, but again. Um, so this is something about luxury goods. So a Chicago ticket mm. in, on the likes of StubHub on the, on the black market costs $1,500 for a Cracking. concert. Okay. Mm. Someone pointed out you can get tickets in Buenos Aires for $153. Okay. Fly from Chicago to Buenos Aires for $900. So it's cheaper, you know, mm. because they're available in Buenos Aires because $153 in Buenos Aires is a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, tickets are available. Uh, I don't know, you know, you and I could fly from London to Buenos Aires, you know, if we had so planned to watch it, I'm not not sure. But it, it also strikes me at luxury. It's kind of luxury living, isn't it? $1,500 mm. to yeah. see Taylor Swift. That's a hell of a lot. I think this is something, this is a subject we want to come back to, isn't it? Perhaps probably over the summer months, because I know I was looking at uh, luxury inflation and the cost of... Uh, is luxury handbags. I think it was the Chanel handbag, the classic Chanel handbag I looked at. I think when it was first launched in the 1980s, it co- you could buy one for £1,000, uh, $1,000, sorry. And now it costs just over $10,000. They've just put their prices up by 16% and they're going to put their prices up again in September. Yeah, I, I think so. So experiences and things, Hermes Birkin bags. Have you got yes. one? Uh, unfortunately, no. But I, funny yeah. enough, I was looking at those on Sotheby's website a- and you there's a very nice matte black alligator one, which was a snip at $110,000. They've been great investments, better than stocks. It pains me to say it, but uh, better than stocks. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover luxury investments. We'll do a bit more work and research and maybe see yes. some expert in. Uh, yes, talk, definitely. Talk, talk with us. Um, but yes, experiences, maybe this is a post-COVID thing, as well as, you know, lovely things like uh, lovely handbags. I mean, the prices are crazy and, and the, the prices that people were willing to pay to see Beyonce in uh, Stockholm, the hotel rooms, the restaurants. Beyonce, if you're listening, you're causing an inflation problem. You know, please help. And, and you know, remember, remember me and we talked about the Motown songs that you might cover. If, if anyone out there knows Beyonce, please let her know. And we'd love to have her on Need to Know at some point. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's it's. I think it's we're seeing it a lot with with travel, aren't we? Because I think we're seeing inflation in just even not in luxury travel, but just in air travel and holidays. And people seem to be at the moment prepared to stump up a little bit of extra cash to pay for these things. Possibly, potentially, still a sort of post-COVID world where we're making the most of sort of what, what they call revenge travel, don't they? I think revenge tourism, where you're just getting back to enjoying being out in the world again, having had a couple of years where you couldn't travel at all. I think that's exactly right. And you, you see that we, uh, in the performance of, you know, at, dare I say, our level, EasyJet stock. Um, I think it's up 50% year to date. Um, 
inside a Coots portfolio, just like most other stocks. Um, actually, yeah. somewhat overweighted, I think, by by our partners. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't change human behaviour. Having said that, um, China is having less of a post-COVID boom. Again, something we can come back to. That's mm. a bit of a surprise. I, I must admit, I thought they would absolutely boom. But anyway, we're in danger of going beyond three items if we carry on. Yeah, like we this. are. Yes, we are. And on that note, then, I think let's bring this to a close. A reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute investment advice, are accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change. Thank you very much, Alan, for joining me this morning. Don't forget to check out the podcast page on coots.com and you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can also access previous episodes, including last week's, in which Alan and I chatted with Coots Head of Foreign Exchange, Ray Monaghan. Uh, Ray shared some very forthright views on what it takes to be a successful trader and his thoughts on Bitcoin and gold. Um, that's all for this week. We'll be back next week. With more need to know. Until then, bye for now.